Being a professional isn't about the money you make, the position you hold, your level of expertise or fame. It's the motivation and the attitude you bring to your work. A desire for always learning and improving and balancing your creative output with getting the business done. Welcome and join the Creating Pros. Hi, and welcome back to Creating Pros. This is Jim Nettles, your host, and today I'm joined with a friend who we've been sort of playing with this topic for a while back and forth, and I feel sure a book may be forthcoming. It's the one and only Joelle Rises, who writes children's books as herself and also writes as J.D. Blackrose. So, Joelle, do you want to kind of introduce yourself? Sure. Um, again, Joelle Rises. I write, I've, I've published one uh, Jewish children's holiday book under my actual name with my brother. Um, and I have published a number of books and short stories under the name J.D. Blackrose, which is what I use for fantasy and romance and paranormal romance and horror and things like that. So what made you decide to start writing? Because and we talked about this, you know, you you kind of hit that. OK, I'm now over 40. I'm about to boot the kids out of the house. Yeah. And against all better judgment, you decided to become a writer. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot to this, but I think I should go back and say that I was a writer. I will always have been a writer. I wrote my first short story at seven. Um, on a manual typewriter and I showed it to my dad and he told me it was good and that was that. Um, I wrote fearlessly through like all my school time through high school um, and then I, I took a creative writing class in college and I got a huge compliment from my creative writing teacher and then it all came to a grinding halt when I went to graduate school because I went to a pretty like difficult research-based program I have a master's degree in communications and um and it was all like academic writing you know long sentences and big words and passive voice and all of these things that you know you don't use when you're writing fiction and um and so to do well in that program I had to sort of like lock everything else up and just really focus on that and I did and then I left and I got engaged to this guy who I've been married to for a long time now. And um, and I had to work to feed us because my husband was in graduate school and he earned nothing. And so all my focus was like, pay the rent, get, you know, buy the groceries, pay the electric bill. Like, and then the babies came. And when the babies came, that was that. They ate my brain and I kept trying to write, um, but I really couldn't. And I, I, I have a really clear story about my son. He was um, probably about five because I was holding my daughter and she was an infant and I needed a tissue. I just needed like a Kleenex. So I said to him, could you go into the other room and get me a Kleenex? Now at five, he was perfectly capable of doing this. He was a very precocious five-year-old. This was not a hard ask. And it took him like forever, like 30 minutes to come back, probably more, like an hour. I think I'd probably gone and gotten five tissues by this time. And when he came back, I said, what took you so long? And he said, completely straight-faced, totally serious. He said, I had, I'm sorry, mom. I had to battle the droids in the kitchen. And my main thought was sadness because I could no longer see the droids in the kitchen. And 
I had once been able to like that. I, and, and I had lost it, you know, at some point I had done the Peter Pan thing and grown up and my son, luckily, you know, still was keeping our house safe uh, from the droids. And I started to write a children's story about that's called the droids in the kitchen. And um, it, I couldn't get anywhere. Like there was just no way I couldn't, I couldn't focus. I couldn't focus. And, um, and life went on like this for a long time. And then that same child <laughs> was uh, graduating from high school and applying to college as they do. And I was sitting at the kitchen table watching him. And I had this total epiphany literally like from on high and the sentence in my head was they're going to leave. And what that sentence meant to me is that these three kids who I had invested all of this time and energy in, um, were growing up and were going to go to college and they were going to leave. And what was I going to do then? And, um, in a moment of sort of some kind of like midlife crisis, panic mo moment, um, through a series of events, I decided after never having been to a convention, a fantasy convention my entire life, I decided the smart thing was to go to Dragon Con, which you know, but anybody else not watching knows that that's that meant I was there with like 80,000 of my closest friends and neighbors. It's so big. And this is where I decided to start. Um, but it did work. I came home really motivated to start writing, really motivated to like get involved in this author world. And I wasn't, of course, ready to really write anything good. I mean, that was going to take a bit, but I started a blog uh, called Slippery Words, which anybody is welcome to come to slipperywords.com. And I started doing author interviews and um, it, it was really helpful to sort of connect me and plug me into the author community. And that's where like things started rolling for me. So let's actually talk a little bit about your professional career as well, because you, you know, you've got the master's degree. You've spent a lot of time in pretty technical roles. You've spent a lot of time in corporate environments. You know, talk a little bit about maybe how that also may not have contributed to being ready to write yeah. Monster Hunter Mom. Well, so this, this is an interesting, you know, thing, like, you know, one there's always this cause and effect. So I worked for a nonprofit for a long time, which was very rewarding, um, you know, challenging in the way of nonprofits, but very rewarding on like an emotional, psychological, mental health level. Like I loved doing that. Um, and I, I moved from that. I transitioned to that. I stayed in, I was in health communications and I stayed in health communications, but I moved to a corporate environment and, um, you know, it's a lot of people love where they work and I don't want to make it sound like you can't have a good corporate job because clearly you can lots of people do, but it was not conducive to having free time or having um, a lot of um, like creativity outside of the job. You had to have a lot of creativity within the job. Um, but I did, I was the communications director at the company I worked for and that meant um, also working on all the social media, media relations, and the job changed and transformed over the many years that I was there. But I was doing a lot of crisis communications in the beginning. And then I was doing like 24-7 social media toward the end. 
Um, and I had no mental space left for writing during those years. Uh, even if my kids were getting older as they were, um, I really couldn't, uh, I, I was so tired. I was so tired, really. I was so tired all the time um, between the children and the full-time demanding job. And um, the other component of it was that the company I worked for was a little bit, you know, more conservative. I mean, corporate, very corporate. And um, again, not a criticism, just a description, you know, of what many of us are living in. And um one of the reasons that I have a pen name, J.D. Blackrose, is because I knew that the stuff I was writing wasn't really brand friendly to the more like straight laced corporate job, which is fair, which is completely fair. But also because I was in communications, I had been interviewed on every everything, you know, television, radio, newsletters. I did all this media work. Um, I wrote press releases, uh, you know, you name it. So I also knew from an SEO perspective, if I was going to do any advertising for my own name, I'd be competing against myself. And I was like, I can't do that. I need to, you know, I need to separate these two things to be fair, both to my company and to my writing career. Um, and that's where I came up with, you know, JD Blackrose, because J and D are my actual initials. And I wanted something that was good just for both romance and fantasy. And Black Rose was sort of seemed to fit. It was easy to say. It was easy to spell. And no one owned the URL. So, you know, from a very practical standpoint. That's, a, that's an important thing. Yeah. From a very stand, practical standpoint, um, that's what I went with. And, and it's worked fine for me, you know, to do that. Now I'm much more open about like my actual name and not sort of keeping it super uh stringently divided but for a long time i did i kept it really divided and the people at my work didn't even know i was writing so um i kept it like my boss did not know i wrote fiction until like maybe the last year of working there so i really kept things very very separate and purposefully did that as i said out of respect both for the company and myself and my writing career but you know they had to be like two different lives and, and I think this is one of those things, because again, I this is the reason I've written under a ton of pen names over the years, both fiction and nonfiction, um, and, and used a lot of them because a professional separation. Um, there's a lot of things I've done in my career where necessarily clients would not would not appreciate somebody who is writing, you know, no murder mysteries or <laughs> right, exactly. narky dark humor and things like this for, you know, and also wanting to run very large projects. I can't imagine right. why. You know, I mean, yeah, I can't. I felt I felt that to be fair, I mean, and to still serve in my <clears throat> corporate role and to do right by the company I was working for, um, I needed to make sure that those streams did not cross. And um, I wanted people when they searched my name to find my professional, you know, history and resume and, and whatnot. And you know, I didn't want them to come up with the author who wrote, as you said, about Monster Hunter Moms or, you know, 400-year-old vampires or whatever I was going to write at the time. And so it it served 
purpose. It served my purpose. Um, I'm at the stage now in my career, and this is sort of where we, you know, get to present time, where it's not necessary for me to be quite so stringent. Um, the pen name now sort of helps me divide, you know, children's fiction from adult genre fiction. Um, and that is important too, because those two things really shouldn't mix because they don't mix well. Um, and I work at a library and they're like thrilled to death that I'm a local author. So it's fine, you know, but again, our lives evolve. And I think that gets to the topic that we're really talking about here, which is that, you know, at every stage of my life, I was doing the very best I, I could. And that's when I hear from people when I talk to, you know, people who are just starting to think about writing again. And I hear from a lot of women in particular, and they're like, I, I can't, I, how do you balance it with having children? How do you balance it with having a career? How do you balance it with taking care of older parents? You know, how, how do you balance all of that? And um, somewhere over the age of 45, I mean, I talk about as writing over the age of 40, but it probably is closer to 45. Um, you still might have the parents thing, but you might have a little more money in your pocket, which means a little more financial freedom and your children are probably a little older. So some of the pressures, not all, but some of the pressures start to loosen up. And I find that a lot of people start thinking about what's the next stage. What do I do next? What am I doing for the next 40 years of my life? You know, um, and they want to get back to that passion that they remember having as a child. You know, I, this is one of the conversations I get into a lot with, with different people and different things is, and especially as we look at some of the times that are currently coming, we've got a lot of people that over the last couple of years of the pandemic and, and, you know, some of the challenges that are coming, we we see a lot of people that have, you know, business or they're working, they've got careers and either they're burned out, they are potentially getting laid off companies, you know, are cutting back companies, shutting down all the things that are happening. In these times, there's a lot of people that, okay, well, I'm 40, I'm 50, you know, I'm 60, whatever the case may be, that are like, okay, what do I get, what do I do now? I've still got right. to do something. And number two, right. I've got to go still make some money. Right. You know, I've got to. No. Yeah, no, go no, ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that's exactly what happened. So I started this, I started um, writing again at the age of 45 and um this was the whole dragon con extravaganza and the, and the aftermath. Um, and I was still working full time, but I did start writing. I like put effort into it and, um, and forced myself to write at night and on the weekends and, um, and on lunch breaks and whatever I could and did manage to write basically two novels. So they came out in novellas, but they've been, they, that's a whole other story. I, I'd like to talk about that in a minute, why that was. But but I did, you know, I managed to do it while working full time. And then just as you said, March of 2020, the pandemic is, you know, ramping up. We are in the very beginning stages. Everybody uh, and there are every company I 
knew of was laying off people and I got laid off too. I was technically furloughed, um, which does matter because it meant that, you know, I was eligible for rehire. And then as soon as the company was in a better position, I, you know, I should be asked to come back and I sort and I sort of was, and, you know, we had discussions, but, um, I had just had a taste of freedom <laughs> and, and, um, and I just, you know, the mental plan had always been, you know, at that point in time, work for five more years because my daughter, my youngest one would be finished with college by then. And then I was like, if I can get her through college, like financially, we can have me stop working. And, you know, once again, life had another plan for me and um, I got furloughed and I walked into the house and my husband, who has been my rock through this said to me, welcome to your first day as a full-time author. And he's like, I don't want you to ever go back. Like he knew right from the beginning. Like, he's like, this is your, you've been miserable for a year, over a year. Uh, it's time for this to end. And, um, you know, you're never, you're never mentally present. You're not home. You're, ex you know, you're exhausted. You're doing social media on Saturdays and Sundays and 11 o'clock at night. And, you know, you know, I wasn't having a great time anymore. And um, I was like, but we need the money. And he's like, we'll figure out the money, you know? And, um, and so really I couldn't have stopped working um, if I hadn't had two things going for me. One, I had already started the writing career. I was already five years into it. And two, Luckily, I have a husband who makes enough money and who has our health insurance that it was a possibility. Um, I'm not saying there aren't some challenges. You know, we had two full salaries and now we have one full salary and whatever I make at the library on an hourly wage. But um, and some royalties and stuff that are starting to come in. But um, there's a lot of investing you have to do up front in a, in a, a writing career and um, you have to be able to fund that. And that, that's a, like a little known, it seems like it's the big untalked about secret is how mm -hmm. much money goes in to investing in yourself and your writing career. And you don't know, there's no, there's no guarantee you're getting it back. Well, and this is, this is one of the things that I talk about a lot is no matter what you're doing, it's still a business. I mean, mm -hmm. and you've heard me talk about this ad nauseum, but it's, it's still a business. You have to look at it like a business. You have to treat it like a business and separating that creative space and what you're doing in the creative space from the fact that you're running, owning and operating a business, especially if it's something where you're trying to make a living. It's like any other business. There's a lot of capital investment. There's a lot of time investment. There's a lot of energy investment. And depending on how well you do that will have a big influence on how successful you can possibly be in the business side of it, because it's not, it's not like it used to be not that it ever really was where you go sit with a typewriter in your apartment, hunched over in the dark, you know, cranking away on something and ship it off. And money just magically showed up underneath the door as you shuffled the next one out. The door. Yeah. I mean, those were not the good old days though. Like, I mean, you know, those were the days where then, you know, you were working on a manual typewriter and you had to fix all your mistakes and God forbid you had to write a whole new page or two. And then you had to 
print that whole, you had to like take all those pages and bundle them up and ship the book manually off to an agent or a publisher. I mean, can you imagine? I can't even imagine. And I've done it. <laughs> no, right. It's just not, it's like, you know, no one should have like warm and fuzzy feelings for that. That was hard. That was hard. Uh, we have much better systems now, but you're still investing. I mean, you have to invest in your training um, because none of us, even if we're born writers and have all this creativity and these stories inside us to tell, we still have to learn craft um, and you still have to learn the business and you still have to network and make connections with people. Um, Laptops. And then when you have software i mean laptops i mean so many things and um and then you know there you you, let's say you start earning some money you have to go out and sell those books maybe you go to conventions maybe you go to book fairs whatever it is maybe you run some advertising um online um and then you have to pay taxes by the way so (laughs) don't forget that um and you're yeah, paying so, both sides of the taxes now. And you're paying both sides of the taxes. So, you know, it's um it's chill, it's a it's a it's a those things can have a chilling effect on people um who don't who aren't up for it. And so what I, I say to people is you do not know what lies ahead. Just start by writing. Because one of the things that happens a lot is that people start asking questions and we do start talking about the business and we do start talking about this. And they, as I said, it can have this chilling effect and they sort of freeze up. Like they're now they don't know what to do with themselves. And the very first question I often get from baby writers is how do I get an agent? And I'm always like, have you written anything? And, you know, usually it's like, well, I'm in the middle of something or I've been working on this novel for 10 years or like whatever. But like, I want to know, like, how do you get an agent? I'm like, look, I can tell you what the steps are and processes are for getting an agent today. But by the time you have anything worth sending to an agent, it could be completely different. I might have told you, as an example, uh, six months ago that one of the greatest ways to connect with agents was Twitter. I'm not going to tell you that today. I might have told you a year ago that Kickstarters are great for funding things, but they can't help you, you know, for established projects and established people, but they'll never, ever, ever amount to terribly much. And then Brandon Sanderson happened. Um, Things change constantly and you don't need an agent until you have something to sell. And that's going to take a while. And um, so it's not that don't learn about the processes and procedures, but those should not be your concern. Your concern should be building a writing habit. I was talking, uh, since we're talking about your writers, I was I had one kind of referred to me and, and I was talking to him because he's in grad school. Um, I think not necessarily in the best field for him based on the conversation. Um, and I've had a couple of these call, conversations with people that think, this is a challenge. I'm just going to go become a writer. I like to write. I, I, you know, I do X, Y, and Z. It's easy to be a writer. And I said, okay, yeah, go write. You, you can write, but if you want to make a living at it, you have to do all the other things too. 
Right. And um, by the time we got done with the conversation, I'm like, in in every way, sh- shape, and form, there's kind of a an old joke, and it's not entirely a joke, but it's the if you are driven to write, write. Because if you have to write, then write, create, and find the opportunities to help profit from that. Because there's nothing wrong from actually profiting and making money from the business of being a writer. But if it is something you're like, hey, I like to play with this and I'm going to explore it and everything else, but you also have 12 other creative outlets, you might want to explore those too because creative business and being a writer is a very long-term process, especially if you want to be traditionally published. It's enormously long. And one of the things that people underestimate constantly is, and I mentioned it already, is learning craft. Um, And when I say learning craft, I mean the technique of telling a story. And that includes things like plot and character and setting and um, building tension and uh, figuring out how to write dialogue. I mean, there's a million things, right? And the only way you can do that is by doing it and you have to do it and then you have to get critiqued. So you also have to have a really, really tough skin. Um, And then you get the negative feedback and then you go back to the drawing board and it's just rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. And it takes a long time. And everybody thinks, oh, I know how to write. Look, I was a communications professional for 25 years. I wrote everything. I wrote press releases, newsletter articles, um, like literally, you know, speeches, literally think if there's something that could have been written, you know, content for web pages, whatever, ad copy, you think about it, I wrote it, brochure copy, whatever. And I knew everything, truly, about putting together a series of sentences in a grammatically correct way with proper punctuation. This I could do. But telling a story in a coherent fashion with a beginning, middle, and an end, you know, just sit down and try it. It's hard. It's a lot harder than people think. And, you know, if you had, the way I talk to people about this is if I had a nickel for every time someone says, I'm going to write a book someday, you know, I'd be pretty wealthy. And then on top of it, think about how many people, you know, who say, I'm going to write a book someday. And then how many people actually do it? It's, infinitesimal and that's because it's hard and a lot of people don't realize quite how hard it is so to get to your point you have to have to do it right like even if i wasn't getting published i'd write stuff because it's me it's what i do i write shit um and hopefully some of it comes out well enough that it's worth sharing with other people so let's talk about the upside of this, though. I yeah, mean, there's lots of upside. I mean, the fun of being creative, the fun of telling a story. You know, let's talk about the plus side of this. I mean, having life experience, having, you know, yeah. built a family, having dealt with a lot of people, having interacted with a lot of situations. You know, one of the one of the questions that comes up a lot in things I've done and taught is, you know, oh, well, you know, I'm 40, I'm 50, I'm, you know, I'm old and I'm tired. Is it too late for me to start doing whatever it is they want to do? I'm like, 
No. I mean, the vast majority of people that successfully start a business, they're 45 years old because you have to have that life experience. And I think with writers, it's particularly true. I mean, there are writers who, of course, who sort of come out of the gate great and you can probably find a million examples of those. But um, if you look at the I checked into it, actually, I'm trying to remember the average age of a person getting their first publication is like 39, I think. Um, I can't remember. I, 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 I checked with some um, author organizations about this. Um, and, you know, it's about 40 and give or take. And I, I think that's because, you know, you do need time to build that life experience and you do need time. Like, think about it this way. Again, you can learn the, you know, grammatical and punctuation techniques of writing, but what are you going to write about? Like, you want to write a character who has a relationship, you know, and that's floundering. Maybe it would be better if you had gone through some kind of similar situation or at least witnessed one. Uh, what about you want to write someone who's had a death in the family that has impacted them? You know, there are just things in life that we have to experience and then we are able to write about them a lot better. It's very hard to write character when you haven't witnessed a lot of different people and engaged in a lot with a lot of different people. You know, I walk around with my phone and when I hear people say funny or interesting things, I, I write it down. I mean, I have a shirt that says, um, I am a writer. Anything you say can and will be used in a story. And I like to tell people, I consider that t-shirt informed consent. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> you need to know that I will write that down <laughs> and it will come back to haunt you. So, you know, you only get that with time and experience. And uh, so that's why, you know, you certainly see 20 something year old wonderkins who come out like the hate you give um, was a a story that was written by a young woman. And, but she, she had a story like there was, you know, she witnessed some stuff. Um, But most of the rest of us need, we need maturity and seasoning. Well, I'm still working on mine, but (laughs) (laughs) maturity, maybe that's not the right word. I mean, I, I was fortunate. The first thing I ever published, I think I was 16. The first thing I was ever paid for to publish, I was 17. But it was fic- it was media. I mean, it was articles. It was things like this. Yeah. I, I mean, I wrote, I published but, a poem in like my high school, something or other. Um, but yeah, I didn't really get paid to, any, to do anything until. I mean, the first short story I ever got paid to publish, I think I was 20. Um, and I did not admit to anybody I was writing fiction at all, especially at that time. But uh, yeah, one of the things that I think is also beautiful about this is you're able to take all that life experience and process it. I mean, because I know that a lot of us, when you're running hot and wide open for months and years and years, we don't necessarily think about all the things that we've seen, we've done, we've experienced good and bad. And I think this is one of those benefits to starting or re or picking back up. Cause I mean, I don't know very many writers that are older that didn't write off and on throughout their entire lives. I mean, I've, I spoke to a group 
not too long ago where predominantly everybody in that group was over 60 and they were all baby writers, but every one of them had been trying to do something their entire lives. Right. And a lot of them are like, I feel so late and I'm starting. I'm like, no, just go do it. I mean, there's nothing like talking to somebody that's 80 something years old who's writing their first book and seeing this as the, this may be the only thing I ever do and write, but I'm at least going to do it. Yeah. I talked I mean, to, uh, I went to a, an event last night with writers, other writers local, and there were some younger writers there um, who were super enthusiastic and lovely and wonderful. And they were talking about how they're the class, because this is an organization that runs classes for writers and they were looking at the class offerings and like, this would be good and that would be good. And, you know, they were doing the thing, like if I spend the $500 on this course, I probably can't do this because, you know, they're young. And so they have, they don't have a lot of money and, you know, they were doing all the same stuff that we, we did. Um, And I still do because I don't earn anything anymore, but, um, but they were great. You know, they were great. They were great. And yet they were in the minority. Most of the people there were like my age or even and older and, and around this sort of second stage of life. Um, there was somebody there who had driven 70 miles to come to this event because he lives in a part of Ohio. Um, I live in Ohio. Uh, he lives in a part of Ohio where there just aren't a lot of writing options and organizations and stuff so he had driven all the way up why because he needed the community of writers around his age and um i think that's part of of what we have to do for each other is is tell people all the time and support support other people that it's not too late like find your tribe find the other people doing the same thing you are and you know just keep working at it. So that's actually a good point. How do you actually go about, how did you go about finding <laughs> the tribe of people that are are positive and reinforcing and grow together? This being said, we have our weekly writing group. We do. Yeah. Awesome. So, so you're one of them, right? I mean, that's how we know each other. Um, so I did get very, very lucky. Um, I had a huge stroke of luck. So when I was first starting, and then I'll tell you ways that I think people can do it now. But when I was first starting this massive like thought experiment of trying to be a writer, I um, had been following Faith Hunter, a writer that I like very much on Facebook. And um, I heard she was going to Dragon Con and I was like, well, I want to go to Dragon Con. That's what I'm going to do. Like, you know, in this fit of like whatever and insanity and i i posted on her one of you know on her facebook page like i'm sort of like maybe i don't know thinking about potentially going to dragon con does anyone need a roommate like it was like that and um you know it was like june and you know you don't get hotel rooms for dragon con in june or august or whatever it was and nobody uh responded and i was like well i tried that's that you know mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Faith wrote back to me and said, Joelle, and I had never met her at this point. And she said, Joelle, do, did you ever find a roommate? And I said, 
no. And I was so like amazed that she was writing back to me. And she's like, I've got a room for you. And she introduced me to some, um, and I'm friends with her now. And, I, and she introduced me to a mutual friend, Tamsin Silver, who I'm very good friends with now. And um, so I met Tamsin. And through Tamsin, um, I sort of like started hanging out with other writers because she started introducing me to where the writers hung out um in the western bar at dragon con and um i met let the you. big secret out yeah oh yeah it's not i actually <laughs> I, really that sort of seems to be changing it's a little sad um but uh i met you and i met john hartness and i met jay Requard and i met all these people um and i met a woman named Jennifer Morris who runs a convention called Coastal Magic in in Florida, and I haven't spoken to her in a while. But uh, a bunch of us like went to this Chinese food restaurant. You know exactly which one I'm talking about, and we had this big round table. And um, I happened to sit next to her, and I just tagged along wherever Tamsin was going because I was didn't know what I was doing. It's a, gigantic, it's a gigantic zoo for anybody that's never been. Yeah, this is, it's very hard to describe, but you've probably seen pictures of like San Diego, San Diego Comic-Con on the news. Imagine that, but with less TV and movies, but, and more books and stuff like that. It's insane. And I, you know, it takes place over five different convention hotels and you're running back and forth and it, it's really nuts. It was a very weird thing to do as my first thing but I sat next to Jennifer and she turned to me and introduced herself and she said are you a writer and I said well sort of and she says let's try this again are you a writer and I couldn't say she made me try like 10 times or something I could not say I am a writer I just couldn't and um Eventually, you know, I met enough people that I that I could, you know, talk to and everybody was very encouraging. You know, that was the thing. Everybody was very encouraging. And one of the ways I think and I work at a library now, as I said, and one of the things that can be very helpful is to turn to your local library because um your local library often will know of local writers groups, may offer classes themselves, um, maybe know a couple other writers who come in to write and can, you know, even connect you. I mean, I was working the other day and uh, one of the librarians brought a woman over and said her daughter is start is wants to be a writer and is just turned 18. And I said, tell her to come on in and I'll talk to her. And, you know, th this is what public libraries do. And that can be a great place to try to start finding other local people. Um, and depending on what kind of writing you're doing, local um, conventions can be great, depending, again, on what writing you're doing. So you have to start looking for where the writers are. And, um, and this is really hard for a lot of writers, but you have to then put, go out and meet them. <laughs> and and like be like hi my name is I'm just starting writing I thought I'd meet people and everybody will go oh that's great sit down 
like have a beer, have a Coke, have a glass of wine, whatever. Um, because by and large, uh, writers are supportive of other writers. So, yeah, I mean, I, that is definitively one of the things that I've always seen over the years is, yeah, we're kind of all in the same boat together. And so you hop in, start bailing with a solo cup and that's yeah. all just sort of keep <laughs> There's the so much water. Just get start going. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I feel like, um, the writers are out there. If you want to look for them, but it may take some time. I um, did find a writer's critique group here, but it took me a couple of years to find the right one because they weren't out there advertising. So, well, and the right critique group is worth protecting because I mean, again, it's finding people you can trust to work with or your stuff to go through and, give positive feedback and give a real critique because we also know that there's plenty of writers out there that, you know, it, it is better to have written than to be writing or, you know, even better to be editing, um, much less to be shopping. But I mean, finding that critique group of people that go and say, what about this? Have you thought about that? Mm -hmm. Right. I would. And, and being able to have that kind of a dialogue and a conversation is, is critical. Well, you just said you started that by saying to give you positive feedback and really it's constructive feedback because, yes. you know, I hope people, people who are serious about um, being in writers critique groups, there's sort of a standard way of giving uh, critique, which is, you know, you start off with something you liked, you start off with something positive, you know, this character was incredibly compelling. Like, I think you've done a great job describing how they look, getting their voice, um, you know, putting them into a great situation where there's going to be a lot of conflict. I am having a little trouble with the plot. Like I'm not following the logic of the plot and I don't feel like it's coming to a great conclusion, but I think you've got this fabulous base. So I'd love you to pay attention more to like, what is the natural flow of the plot and what is your ending going to be? Cause you know, the beginning is great, but the ending's not strong, right? People can hear that kind of feedback, but um, they can't hear, you know, well, I read this and I don't know. I just, I couldn't follow it. You know, that that's, mm -hmm. that's not constructive. So like you said, um, critique groups may take a little while to find the one that fits you, but. And, and I think the other challenge there is getting feedback from people that have an idea of how the craft works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Your, um, your first readers can be like your partner or your mom, but, um, once you're into serious critique, it cannot be people who love you. That is real, like you can't. That's what I tell people all the time. It cannot be people who love you. Um, it has to be people who respect you. They can be writer friends, but you need to have somebody who's going to sit down and tell you, you used the word breathed 50 times in a you know, 25 page manuscript, like they're constantly breathing. We need to stop them from breathing now. Like, please go back and do a word count and see how many times you use the word breathe and cut out 
almost all of them, right? Because you're just distracting from your writing. Or you need someone who's willing to tell you, um, I like what you're doing here, but this character is completely not believable, right? And then you're going to be like, crap, but you're going to have to go and fix that, you know, because those things happen to everybody. Yeah, we think that it's on the page. You cut that out in edit number two, and it's still in your head. Still it's not on the page. I get accused of that. I have been told many, many times. My very first, like, serious editor, I paid somebody. Um, I won't name them, but you know them. And I paid somebody a good amount of money uh, with my first, it was my first NaNoWriMo manuscript. And I paid them to read it. And I paid them to read a second manuscript after. None of these things have ever seen the light of day. But these are trunk novels for sure. But uh, I got, I was finally told you have, um, how did she put it? You have um, in head, not on page syndrome. She's like, you think this is all clear and you've told us and you've described it and you have it. It's, it's in here but it's not on the page and telepathy does not work. So you need to go, you know, figure that out. But you don't know those things until someone points them out to you. You cannot see what you've created. It's, you see, I mean, and I think there's another fun part to what you just mentioned, which is everybody thinks I've written my, yeah, because we're just coming out of nano. It's now December when we're recording this. Everybody's just come out of nano, which means, all the publishers are just sort of cringing right now or turning off the They're all the getting NaNoWriMo books. <laughs> and, and there are some great things that have come out of NaNo, both from first time and established writers. But it's not ready on December the 1st or December the 8th or December the NaNoWriMo. 30th. No. No. It, it's not. I used NaNoWriMo. This gets back to something I mentioned earlier about novellas. I used NaNoWriMo... I've only done it once. I, did, I feel no need to do it again. But um, I used it to prove that I could write 50,000 words in a month, which is the goal of NaNoWriMo is to prove that you can do that. And so I was working full time at the time and I still had the kids and all of that stuff. But I had to write 1,667 words a day. And um, including on Thanksgiving, including on Thanksgiving, like I needed to write 1,667 words a day. If I was going to meet my not rhino nano rhino goal, and I did, I did, I got the T-shirt too, and I'm and a mug, and um, the goal for me was to just simply prove that I could do that. So when I was thinking about the next thing to write, and was started to write what became the Soul Wars, which was published by Falstaff Books, I uh, I could not think. I couldn't figure out how to write that book's about 120,000 words when you put it all together. But the, the idea of writing a 90,000 word book or a hundred thousand word book was literally impossible. I couldn't figure out. I always tell people it was like trying to imagine what a million dollars in $1 bills looks like when it's piled on a table. How big is that? No idea. So I knew though, that I had already written 50,000 words. So I figured I could write 30,000 words and I just did it four times. So 
I broke it down. I was like, I'm going to write novella one, then novella two, and then novella three, and then novella four, and they're all going to follow in a in a story arc. And I wrote a novel. I just had to like keep breaking it down because the idea of writing, I mean, because I did four 30,000 word novellas, like I said, the whole book is now 120,000 words, but never in a million years could I have started out to write a 120,000 word novel. Like it made no sense. So you got to find what works for you. Yeah. My sweet spot hits right at 105,000 words. Doesn't matter. It just hits about that 105 K. So talking a little bit too here, one of the other things I think that everybody kind of doesn't necessarily understand is that idea of the trunk book. I mean, how many books do you have that are hidden that will never see the light of day? And you periodically think about, I just need to shred that so that no (laughs) one finds that when I die. I I don't want to shred anything, but I do have both of those um, 50 to 60,000 word manuscripts that are just, they're just in there. Um, I, I sometimes think with the second one that I could turn it into something real. There's a, it's a, there's a one scene in it that is really good. Um, that I know is really good. And I keep thinking that might save it. I could probably go figure it out. Um, and it was sort of like the cross between the gunslinger and wizard Oz. And, um, I just kept thinking the dark tower and the wizard of Oz. And like, I had this whole thing and anyway, it doesn't matter, but um, those two are still in there. I have had many other uh, ideas that started that stopped um, before getting anywhere. Um, Half written manuscripts, short stories that never sold, you know, I mean, it's just a, it's just an entire OneDrive file full of folders of, you know, started and not completed or not or abandoned in some manner uh, manuscripts because that, you know, is simply just the way it happens. And uh, you have to just know that not every idea is going to pan out. But there's value in exploring it. Sure. You know, get started. You never know what's going to work and what's not. Um, but you know, at some point you might get bored with what you're writing and you're, and then, you know, if you're seriously, seriously bored with what you're writing, that's probably because the writing's boring. Um, and nobody else is going to want to read it either. And when you realize that and you're like, oh, well, this sucks. This just sucks. I don't, I don't even want to work on this anymore. It's not worth fixing. Um, you know, move on, but you might, you might be able to write it later. Well, so let's say that I'm uh, somebody is wanting to start or restart their writing career, their creative career. Yeah. They're looking at all these choices. You know, how do you how do you make the writing work while the rest of life goes on? I mean, because you know, I, I think one of the things that a lot of people also have the the idea is that writers make a nice ton of money, and most don't. No. And we both know a lot of writers that are. New York Times published that also still have the day jobs. Well, that- a million percent, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so the first thing I would definitely say is don't quit your day job. I mean, we all say that, but I mean it sincerely. Do not stop working. Okay. You need to 
find a job or maintain a job that will bring in income while you start working on this writing career. Uh, that's number one. The second thing is everybody's uh, first questions are, how do I get an agent and how do I get published? And my answer to that is, don't worry about those things. Write first, worry later. Um, you are not going to be ready to publish anything for a while. And so go in accepting that and knowing that. The third thing is that your focus, so, so don't worry about those things, but what you should work on, what you should focus on is building a writing habit. And this is the drum that I beat because um, when I say build a writing habit, you'll hear people say you have to write every day and that's nonsense. You do not need to write every day. I did not write today. Um, I had other things to do, but you do need to write consistently over time in a way that lets you build story. So that means writing three days a week or four days a week. Maybe it means writing at lunch. Maybe it means writing in the evening. Maybe it means writing in the morning. And you're going to have to experiment with times and, you know, schedules to find out when there's writing times happen for you. You might not figure that out for a couple of a good couple of weeks, you know, up to two months, you might take you a while to figure out what that schedule looks like, particularly if like me, you have a schedule that changes. Um, but you're going to have to find something that works for you. And then you have to freaking commit to doing it. And just like it's hard to commit to a diet or it's hard to commit to exercise, you have to commit to writing. And this idea that you're going to sit around and wait for the muse to come along and inspire you is total and complete nonsense. That is not the way it works. The muse works for you and you work for the muse. So you got to sit your butt in the chair and put your fingers on the keyboard or pencil to paper or however you like to write and just do it. And if you can't figure out what to write, write anything, literally write anything, write a scene that's in your head write a conversation between two characters, but there's a little bit of like priming the pump that has to happen. And um, it's work, people, it's work. It's not just inspiration. It's, you know, it's tried, it's trite, but you know, it's success is this small, small percent inspiration and the rest is perspiration. And this is what you need to focus on is building that writing habit. And you can build a habit a writing habit, just like you build any other habit, which is doing things that motivate you to do it. Maybe you tell yourself you can't watch this TV show until you write 500 words. Maybe you tell yourself um, you can't go out for that walk outside until you write for 20 minutes today, whatever it may be. And you don't have to write a lot. This is the other thing I tell people is, you know, some people think they have to sit down and write 2000 words every day. No, 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 you don't. You can try to write 2000 words every day. That's, you know, fabulous. If you can, I can't, I, I can't. So someday you write a thousand words. You can't write a thousand words. Someday you write 500. Can't write 500, do 250 or write for 15 minutes or find a friend to do a sprint with. But you've got to find a way to build that writing habit. And that, that is where things start. Well, you know, and I'm going back to do the math. So let's say that you write 250 words a day. 
basically a page. You write one yeah. page a day for 300 days a year. Yeah. Okay. That's 75,000 words. Yeah. That's 75,000 words. There. You have a short novel. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, it's the first draft of a short novel, but you've got something. So you have to be able to do that. There are days like today when despite all the best intentions, I didn't get anything down. Now it's early. I probably should go write something in a little bit. But um, you're going to have to get into that that habit once you get into that habit and you build a story and you write something and it has a beginning and a middle and an end you know that feeling of success and having done that you need to celebrate that because very few people even get to that point yeah. When you have somebody that goes and says, well, I've got a, I, I've got a first draft of the book. That is a huge celebration. Anytime somebody says nobody's seen it, but I've got a first draft. I'm like, well, you've accomplished something that 99% of the planet will never get around to actually doing, which is you've completed something. And it's a huge, it's a huge step. Yeah. And that's all about that writing habit. And you know, you have to, you have to work at it. You have to find ways to reward yourself for doing it. You have to find a way to break the process down so that you can do it. Um, and there are going to be times when you feel like I don't know what to write. And, and you're going to have to find things that help you break through that because you don't really have writer's block. You have, I mean, there are, let me just first say, there are times when people have actual writer's block. And usually that has to do with mental health, right? Someone has died and you are grieving okay, like you got to give yourself time to heal. Um, you know, you have a mental health disorder that you're working on getting treatment for. Like these things happen, they're real. But most of the time when people say they have writer's block, they don't have writer's block. What they have is I don't know what to do next situation. And you have to find a way to break through that. And you'll hear sometimes people say doctors don't have doctor's block and plumbers don't have plumber's block and whatnot. And there's some truth to that. It's not quite the same because creatives have to generate all the energy from inside of us and that engine sort of gets tired. But uh, sometimes you can kickstart it. One of the things I did just this week, uh, I had not written, I'd been at a convention, so I hadn't written for like five days. And um, I had allowed that to happen because I didn't know what happened next. Like I literally was like, Okay, I got my characters this far. Now what happens? And um, usually if I just give it enough time, it'll click in, you know, and I'll wake up at 3 a.m. with like, oh, that's what happens. That's fine. Okay. And it did not happen. So I was like, well, I'm going to have to force this. So I went for a walk. Exercise is really important for this to, to helping you. Um, and I got like my phone out and I got like a little voice recording app open. It came with the phone. It's not like anything special. And I started talking it out while walking. Like, huh? okay, so Gregory does this and then this happens. And then I started doing this conversation between the characters and then who comes in? Oh, I come in. And then this happens. And by the time I came back, I knew what I needed to do. And I wound up writing eight, almost 1900 words. Because I had done something completely different to break through. 
Well, and this is the reason, you know, kind of the old joke of why do the best ideas come to you in the shower? It's because you're doing something monotonous, repetitive, that allows your mind to work. Yeah, And I mean, doing something different, exercise, even if it's just going for a walk, things like that make a huge difference. And all of them help build creativity. They help with your mental health. They help with, you know, your overall wellness. And movement is always good. This coming from somebody right now that is still trying to heal from old injuries and poor choices. But, you know, and that... (laughs) But and if we look at things often, the easiest thing to do to you know inspire creativity is look at what your characters are doing, look at where they need to be, and have them make the absolute worst choice possible. Right, exactly, or kill somebody. Um, so you know, there's so many different ways to inspire this creativity. I truly believe in physical movement. Like I, you know, I walk a lot. I get outside and walk as much as I can. And I live in Cleveland, so that is saying something. Um, because it's December and it's freaking cold here. Um, but I walk and I find that walking really helps me, but there are a million other things that you can do. Dictating into your phone as you're walking around your house or doing laundry is one thing. Um, writing a scene that comes later, um, in the, in the book that just, you happen to know what happens in that scene is great. Sometimes when I get really, really stuck, which usually happens about three quarters of the way through the book, two thirds to three quarters, somewhere in there, I'm like, and I'll go and write the last chapter of the book and then go, okay, what do I need to get to the beginning of the last chapter that I just wrote? And then I'll write the second to last chapter. And I literally write in a linear fashion, but I write backwards. Um, every time I say that somebody looks at me like I've grown a second head because they don't understand it, but it works for me. Um, I was just watching a whole bunch of stuff about AI generated art, which I do not support as a whole, but, you know, I don't want people using AI generated art, you know, without understanding that it's coming from actual artists, the way AI generated art, there's a whole different topic, but AI yeah, I actually did a show on that a couple weeks ago. And uh, tomorrow night, I'm doing a whole podcast with a whole group of people talking about AI. Oh, fabulous. Everybody should become educated on the positives and negatives of AI generated art. Um, it's like AI generated novels. Okay. The bad part is that the algorithm has to get its inspiration from somewhere. And it's taking it from existing human artists that it can crap up. Um, but one thing that I've heard a lot of people talk about that I think is really cool is using AI generated art to create for your own personal use ideas of what your character look like or ideas for what your setting looks like, you know, go into um, a program like incarnate and build a map for your world. Um, Take, I was told by um, one of my favorite editors to take my characters to lunch sit down and pretend you were having lunch with this person and type out like, what's their favorite color? What happened to them in high school? Did they go to the prom? What car do they drive? Just start building that character biography and having that character like conversation. Um, You know, go onto the internet and find actors and models that look like your characters and create a whole character sheet um, with the pictures and 
all of those details. And so, you know, you should be doing this anyway. So, you know what their eye color is. You can know, you can know how tall they are, you know, what they weigh. Uh, and then who are your best friends? Do you have family? Like you should be building up all of that stuff anyway. So, it's, you know, there are a million different little games that you can play with yourself to start the writing process. Find the tools that work for you. Whatever it is. Yeah. Most people will not write backward, but. I've know, done it. <laughs> I know a lot of people that write the ending and then start on the beginning. Right. And a lot I mean, of people who absolutely could not do that. Patricia Briggs, one of my most favorite writers who has written the Mercedes Thompson and Alpha and Omega series. Uh, she, she thought she looked at me like I was insane when I told her I did that. And she was like, I can't know the ending or I can't write the book. And there are lots of people who are more organic writers and that's the way they are. But find your thing. If you like to outline and you want to learn how to outline, there are lots of really good books on story beats and plotting versus pantsing, you know, all different ways to do it. But you've got to find your things. And understand that you're going to grow into them as well. Because. Right. What works for you on this book may not work work for you on the next one or the next series or whatever the case may be. Hundred percent. And if you're writing, if you are writing a series, outlining becomes, in my personal opinion, outlining becomes more important. But if you're writing a standalone, you might be able to, you know, you might be able to to plant that. You know, just planting is what I do. It's sort of outline, sort of pantsing. But you could pants the whole darn thing. And if you don't have a deadline, you know, you really could pants the whole thing because. You know, no one's waiting on it. Fix it later. Right. So what else have we not talked about that you wanted to hit on? I don't know. I feel like I've just chattered at people. I don't know if I've given anyone real advice. I mean, the you know, the main thing is it's it's any any time is a good time to start writing. You are not behind. You are fine. You are not behind. Um you have a unless lot you're under contract. Right. Well, but, but you have, I'm just saying if you're 40 or 50 or 60 or 70, it's totally fine. If you're 80, whatever, it's fine. It's time to write. It's good. Um, don't worry about the, the process of getting published. Certainly in your free time, learn about it, ask questions. Don't be, be educated, but don't make that your major concern. Your major concern should be building a writing habit. You have to build a writing habit by, all the techniques you have to do for any other habit, breaking it down into steps, planning the time, giving yourself some rewards, being proud of yourself for the small steps, you know, all the things that you have to do to build any habit. Um, and, and also we, the one thing we didn't talk about is your first draft should be what my kids teachers used to call the sloppy copy. Um, you know, it's not really a first draft. It's a zero draft. It is, no one's going to see it. By the way, you don't have to show anyone you're writing. Isn't that amazing? You can write and not show anyone. Um, so no one's going to see this. So just, and this is a little bit of Dr. Heal Thyself because I do too much editing on my, my first drafts. Um, but the I do feel like the best way to write a first draft is fast. Mm -hmm. um, you know, literally just 
and don't worry about, don't go back. Don't worry about, you know, all the things, grammar and, you know, proper grammar and not repeating words and, you know, whatever. Don't worry about that. Just get the basics of the book out. You can fix it later. Get the story out because you can always, you can't fix the blank page, but you can fix what's there. Yeah. You know, I was a radio, television and film major in college and I did a bunch of stuff with TVs. And, you know, the most common sentence you'll hear is we can fix it in post. And, you know, that's really what it's about. You can, you can I say that to myself, you can fix it in post. Um, it just means you can always go back and edit. Um, you know, sometimes you can't fix things in post on film or <laughs> or whatever, but but in, with writing, you can, you know. Sometimes you got to reshoot, but, you know, either that or it just winds <laughs> up as being one of those Trump books. It's fine. Or, it's, or you know, in, 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 you know, in a movie or television thing, you can do CGI now. Um, but so you can always fix it in post. But with writing, you know, you can. You really can go back. You know, you can take a draft of your first draft of your book. And I save things by date. So I always know what the most recent copy is. Um, but it'll be like, you know, book title, you know, December 8th, 2022. And then, you know, you work on that and it's like, mm, I really need to change some things. So you save as book title, December 8th, version two, <laughs> new version with added scenes. And you, and then let's say that doesn't work out. You can still go back to the one, the first one. That's what Scrivener is great for is being able to swap and play with stuff. Yeah. So I don't use Scrivener, but I encourage people to learn it because if you, if you take the time to learn it, it's a really powerful program, but I never have taken it. it I have a love hate relationship with it, much like Evernote, but. I use Evernote. I do use Evernote all the time. Yeah. That's, they let me use it for a really long time without paying anything. And then eventually they came to me and it was like this sort of like tentative email, like, hi, you've been using our program for like two years for free. <laughs> if you'd like to pay for it. And I was like, okay, fair. Well, before we get out of here, you know, where can everybody find you? You know, set website, social media, what's currently out now they have to have. Right. Okay. So blatant promotion time. Um, you can find me at slipperywords.com. If you type in jdblackrose.com, it gets you to the same exact place. Um, that's my blog. Uh, subscribe to my e-newsletter. I do not spam you. I just did an interview with Jonathan Mayberry, for example, and published that. So you get, you know, neat stuff. Um, and that's the way to get it. Um, and then, you know, go on, you know, Amazon or wherever and look at my books. I mean, Amazon has more of them because I do have some things under Kindle Unlimited, but the latest series, um, is a series by Bellbridge Books. The first one is called Demon Kissed. It's the Summoner's Mark series. I just, I published, I have three books, Demon Kissed, Fate Crossed and Hellbound. And then I just, just, just in October, um, October 31st, right around then, published um, an online only novella. That's the next in that series. It's called Samhain's Bargain. Don't be confused. Samhain is spelled the Celtic way, S-A-M-H-A-I-N. And um, 
that novella sort of sets up what's going to happen in books, novels, four, five, and six, which is what I'm I'm working on right now. So go look for that. Um, I have a short story in an anthology called The Valkyries Initiative. I have a short story and an anthology literally just came out that's called Never... Oh, I don't even actually think it's out. It's up for pre-order. It's called Never Too Old to Save the World. And um, yeah, go get those things. I wrote them. You should read them. I mean, I went to all that trouble. May as well. They're there. They're, they're <laughs> out. They're available. They're there. Well, I appreciate you coming to hang out and I hope everybody got a lot out of, you know, kind of figuring out this is the writer's journey. It's, it's kind of like telling the story. It's not a straight line. It is, it looks like, like, like the old uh, Dennis, the menace cartoons of winding all over the place. Yeah. Or family circle. Remember? Family circle. That's the one yeah. I was trying to remember. <laughs> Dennis, the menace was my nickname in, in many times. Um, it's, um, and I wanted to say it's hard, but it's so worthwhile. It's so worthwhile. And the community of writers is generally speaking, really welcoming and really helpful. And um, don't give up. Don't give up. And and yes, your journey is going to be that family circle kind of like thing. But why should you be different than anybody else? Right? It's This is the way it is. This is the way it works. So don't give up. That's the fun of the process, right? Love the process. Love the I'm going to write that down and say that to myself every day. Write it on the post-it note, right over the monitor. Love the process. More of them up there. I'll add that. All right. Well, thanks everybody. And we'll see everybody again next week. This has been Creating Prose.